Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Atkinson with the corner. Oh! A fantastic header! Gordon Armstrong! It's back in his grasp! Chelsea are dumbstruck! We're one hour down into the uh, 24 hour Twitter spaces, and our next guest has come on board already. Now, Obviously, we've already introduced him, but let me just get a very quick backstory of him. He is a seventh all-time appearance maker for Sunderland with 418 appearances. He has won promotion for the lads from both Division 3 and 2. And he was in the FA Cup final in 92, and he scored, well, he's definitely up there, one of the most iconic Sunderland goals in that FA Cup run. Twice voted player of the year. It's Gordon Armstrong. Gordon, how are you doing? Good evening. Good evening. All good, thank you. Yeah, good. And you? Very well, Gordon. I'm very well. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on board of us today. So, um, before I get into your playing days, yep. Let's see what you're up to these days at the moment. Because I, I had a little look on your uh, your LinkedIn profile. Yep. Um, you head up GA Sports Management and a fully licensed FA intermediary. Is that right. basically you're an agent? That's right. Yeah, basically, yeah, football agent. Yeah, it's a fancy name for it now. They changed it a while back. Uh, where you had to become licensed with the FA. So, yeah, that's what I do. That's what I've done from basically from the time that I jacked in playing football. Um, that's what I did. So, yeah, um, still enjoy it. Um, it's uh, it's a lot harder work than it used to be, I think, because there's a lot more agents and stuff. But, um, but yeah, I enjoy it. it. It keeps me involved in the game and, um, you know, it uh, keeps me out of a little bit of trouble anyway. So, did you never sort of fancy going down like the management route at all? How, how did you sort of fall into a, in, into that side of it? Yeah, it was something I went at the end of my career sort of thing. I had a, I had a brother who's a lot younger than me and he asked me to do it, to look after him first and foremost. And, and that was sort of in the last year, year and a half of like playing with Burnley. The manager there was really good with us and he said, look, whenever I needed to go over there, even if it was in time when it was you know we were training and stuff I could I could go over and saw contracts out for him things like that so I sort of started then a little bit and then when when I actually finished playing football with Burnley about a year later um, I managed to get sort of likes of Robbie Blake and Richard Chaplow and people like that on board who were Burnley players um, so that got me started and, and, and I was living in Manchester obviously at the time or near Manchester um, so that's that's really how I got started and, and kicked on from there, really. That's fair enough, mate. But so let, let's uh, let's talk about your career, and yep. it, it's been, it's been a well, it's been a roller coaster to be fair. So you know, despite you know, you were born in Newcastle. Um, yep. Despite oh. that, you are red and white through and through. Yeah. Um, so how was a, as a young lad growing up in you know on the dark side? How was that for you? Uh, no, not great. No, I mean I had a little little period when I, I moved to Carlisle. My me, me dad moved jobs for about three, four years, so I moved over to Carlisle for a bit. Um, but overall, he obviously being brought up in Newcastle, it wasn't easy being a Sunderland fan. I must admit, no. Um, I always tell everybody I didn't have a name. Basically, I was just Macamere to most people. I had a few mates that were sort of Sunderland fans. Uh, one of them being Martin McFadden. Um, so he was in my class when I when I left originally from primary school to go from up to over to Carlin was about six I think Martin was in my class and when I came back to middle school 
uh, which is what they do a lot of the times in, in, in Newcastle. He was in that class as well. So so that was good. So I had one son of fan. There was another lad called Keith Atkinson, who was another lad at Gosford High School. They, we were about the only three son of supporters that I knew anyway. Um, so um, we we sort of fought the world a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but yeah, it wasn't easy. Um, yeah, there was some... Staff things went on at times, especially when I was playing later on. But yeah, that's just part of growing up, I suppose. Well, I say we'll, we'll get to one of those very important games in a short while, no doubt. Yeah. Um, but you say you actually signed for lads at just fifteen years old. Um, how did that come about? Did you? Could, was it just Sunderland interested in you, or could you've gone to other clubs um, at the time? No, no, but I had, I had a few other clubs that I've been to, sort of thing, and like Tottenham were were really strong and want me to sign sort of thing. I've been to Tottenham for about a year and a half before, well, not a year and a half, but within, within all that, so I'd, I'd, I'd been to Tottenham for about a year and a half before I'd signed for Sunderland and then I was at Sunderland for maybe six months before they they sort of took me on schoolboy forms and uh, that really, to be fair, although I love Spurs, don't get me wrong, and it, it was amazing because, you know, I got to like, watch the likes of Glenn Hoddle and I stayed with Mickey Hazard, to be fair, and in digs and stuff. Um, still speak to Mickey once in a while now through Twitter and things like that. But um, but yeah, so it was. It, it was. But there was only really one choice. I, you know, obviously as a kid, the team you support. That's where I wanted to be, and I can stay at home, obviously. Yeah. So that, that was that was. It was a no-brainer really for me. Even though, but to be fair, Spurs offered me like a guaranteed sort of a, a, a um, pro contract sort of thing, apprentice, and then pro sort of thing. Um, but and Sunderland didn't. Uh, they just offered me uh, schoolboy forms. But um, but yeah, it was it was a no-brainer. And luckily enough, it worked out for me. And uh, obviously, lovely time at Sunderland. Do you ever look back though? When um, and obviously with the lies, you actually made the choice you made. But do you ever look back now and wonder, you know, that, that sort of sliding doors moment? What what would have happened in your career had you had you gone to Spurs? No, not really. It, it's listen. It worked out brilliant for us. At the end of the day, it's sometimes I, I, I always say that you need a lot of luck as a as a young footballer. To be fair, and 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 it so happened that when I was seventeen, well, like the first team were struggling badly, uh, had a lot of injuries, and it was near the end of the season, and I was doing well in the reserves and got a chance basically. Um, more because I think one or two of the lads at the time were sort of um, picked up injuries and got a little bit naffed off with what was going on behind the scenes and things and um, so yeah there was again some interesting bits and bobs within and all that with my first games and some lads didn't even really want to play to be honest um, when we got near the end of the season and the club had to threaten basically that they'd cancel the end of season holiday for some players to play so that's sort of how wow. crazy. So, yeah, so you, you've come in at probably like the worst possible times then. Yeah, at that time, yeah. But I always said that was Sunderland Football Club and it always has been. And, and <laughs> it, it, I say, it doesn't seem like it's changed a lot. No, it, it's all, but that's why I say it's either up or it's down and it's, but it's never boring. I think with it, all the seasons I was with Sunderland and I think this, you know, I was there from sort of 16, 17, obviously, till. Till I think I was 28, and, and there was only one season where we were at finished mid table, so we were either, you know, at the bottom or fighting at the top of the league, and and that's how Sunderland's always been. To be honest, it, it's, you know, obviously we've had some periods where in the Premier League where we've been more in the middle, but but I I wasn't around then, and uh, you know the 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 times I've been there, it's always been fighting for promotion or relegation, so it's it's never been boring. Anyway, put it that way. That's what I always say. Oh, it's never been. I've been, I've been following Sunderland for over 30 years. And I say, like, some seasons I just wish for mid-table obscurity just once. <laughs> it would be nice. Yeah, probably, yeah, once in a while it would be nice. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, uh, certainly not this season anyway. We want to be fine top end, don't we? But, uh, but yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, sometimes it would be nice just to have a boring season and, uh, and, and hang around in the top league or something like that would be nice, yeah. So just before your um, your actual debut, I say you, you touched upon there, um, a few weeks before that was actually the um, the Milk Cup final versus Norwich. Yep. So were you sort of, because you were in the reserve, were you around sort of the first team enough then? Did you sort of travel with the team to Wembley that day? I, I, I didn't, to be fair, but my first ever trip was actually the semi-final. Um, so, against Chelsea? Yeah, against Chelsea, yeah, down there. And we sort of played, we played Luton on the Saturday and then stayed down for the game. Uh, on the Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday anyway, I'm pretty sure, um, of the, the Mill Cup 
semi-final as it was then. Um, so I think we got beat at Luton or Drew or something like that. Yeah, and and then obviously the big game that everybody was concentrating on really was the was the game against Chelsea. And then I just remember what again, just just pure madness at the time. But we tried to get to the to the ground and obviously left in plenty of time but it was absolutely madness around the ground and everything. We only the team actually only got there half an hour before the game. So we sort of the the skips were rushed in with all the kit in. The lads didn't even have a chance to even walk on the pitch or anything. They just got changed and basically ran out onto the pitch. So um I mean it was just pandemonium and, and the worst atmosphere I've I've ever encountered up until then and since, it was just horrendous. Anybody that was there, I think, would tell you the same. It was just kicking off everywhere. Um, I was on the bench. I think um, Paul Lemon was like similar age to me. Was on the bench with us, and you know there was people behind us like sniffing thing glue and things like that, and kicking the back of the the um, dugouts and going mental. To be fair, and, and as you went down, there was a tunnel then, and it was all open. As you went in, and as we were going down, the lads were getting spat at and chucked the cups of tea and coined, uh, and you know it was just it was just mental. And I remember Steve Cram telling us afterwards that you know he had a, he had to leave um, because yeah, before like half time because he was just getting so much abuse. But it, I mean, I also remember like one of the I think it was Clive Walker was running down the wing, and there was this big massive metal spike that came out from the whatever they call their stupid end, the, whatever it was, the cow shed end or whatever the hell it was called. can't remember now, the old end. But it came out of there and it only landed about three or four yards from Clive. Um, and obviously, I think most people have seen the pitches where the horse runs on as as, we, as Westy scores, I think, the third goal, I think. Yeah. Uh, it, was just, it was just a mental night and it was a big introduction to like football at that time, to be honest. And um, yeah, so it was, uh, it was a mad, mad night. I know the stories from that day, from a supporter's point of view, are you know are still so notorious to this day. But you know, you're you're a 17 year old kid at the time. Yeah, it, yeah, it, must, it just you must be quite glad not to have come on in the end. Yeah, no, I, well, I wasn't. Sub, I was just in the squad. But like, me, my brother went down. My brother was only 14, and he went down and. Um, you know, sort of wish he hadn't because it was just horrendous. Uh, you know, that obviously that you know the old one was they used to ask you that the time or whatever, and I think it, somebody had asked him and then had gone for him and he just ran. <laughs> well, luckily enough, you're 14, you're pretty quick, aren't you? And you, yeah. oh, he got away, no bother. But uh, but yeah, oh, it, it was lucky. Just a... oh, lucky for him that night. Um, yeah. So, moving on then from there. So, as I say, so a few weeks after the uh, the cup final, you you, you make your debut. Twenty yeah. fourth um, of April, nineteen eighty five. It was a it was a one nil defeat, um, unfortunately, to West Brom, and yeah. it was actually the day we got relegated as well. So that that must have been a real sort of bittersweet day for yourself. Yeah, it certainly was. Yeah, it, it was. You know, it, it, I, I played centre half, which I hadn't really played before. Uh, like I say, we had, we had quite a lot of injuries. I think, I think memory serves. I think. Um, it was either Sean Elliott or Gordon Chisholm wasn't fit and, and they ended up playing sort of left-sided centre-back. It was more like, likely probably be Sean, I would think, that guy wasn't fit. But um, I loved it at the end of the day. It was, you know, it was obviously in the top league um, and we should have won. We battered them, to be fair, with a better team. I remember Stan at the bar and um, we we were far the better side, but, we you know, we couldn't get a result and uh, it, it was... Uh, so, it's just enjoyable and, yeah, it yeah, obviously, the season was really done anyway because there were still four or five games left, I think. Yeah. Uh, so we were, you know, we were virtually guaranteed to go down anyway. But, uh, but yeah, I got a few more games after that, and, and that was. Fantastic. So when did you um, find out? Because obviously, Len Ashurst was your manager at the time. When yeah. did you actually find out that you were going to be playing on the Saturday? It wasn't a Saturday. It was a, I think it was a, it was like a, again like a Tuesday, a midweek game. Oh, no, it was a Wednesday. Apologies. Yeah, it was Wednesday. Yeah. Wednesday night game. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, I think I, I think um, sadly Frank Burrows passed away, but he was sort of he was coach then, and he he was he was brilliant with well not just me but everybody. He was really a a, a great human being, uh, and he pulled me and told me and and, and he you know taught me through it and everything. And uh, he was a class guy, just a, a class individual um, who took a real uh, care and and, uh, and give 
loads of people, loads of his time um, to, to try and make people better. And he did that with me every day. And, and he was the one that told me, to be fair. Um, and, and yeah, he was a tough guy, Frank. But, you know, he, and, and I remember him pulling me after the game and he, and he said to me, Armstrong, and his Scottish accent, he said, you didn't do bad, but you didn't do good. He said, so I've seen better and I've seen worse debuts. So you did all right, kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you, you'll, you'll take that, I suppose, won't you? Yeah, exactly. First game, I would love to have, seen, have, have won, but we didn't. But um, like I say, we probably should have done. So for yourself, then, when we've um, obviously you know we've been been relegated, and so we now we're now in the the old Division Two. Yeah. Was there a part of you that kind of felt that obviously as a as a boyhood fan, you obviously you don't want to, you know, and you want, as a professional, you want to play in the top league, but at that stage of your career, did you feel that actually? It might actually be not be a bad thing. You'll get more opportunities to sort of get into the first team. Yeah, that, that exactly it. Like again, the same thing. You need a bit of luck, and, and that's what I think. It, it it actually didn't turn out like that. Um, I basically didn't get back in the team for quite a while. To be fair, for another sort of six months, I think it was. Um, obviously, new manager came in, and everything changed. To be honest, um, we were spending money left, right, and centre, and most of it on him. To be fair, but um, <laughs> but. But yeah, it took us a while to get back. You know, it was Christmas time, I think, before I got back in the team. But that, that's what you hope for. And I just remember being absolutely good because once you've once you've tasted that uh, first team experience, obviously you want more of it, especially when you're a young kid. Um, I was only 17, 18 year old, so um, I just wanted to be back playing, and 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 eventually I got back in there. Yeah. And as you say, cause you only made fourteen appearances that that sort of second season under um. McMenemy, um, but you did actually get your first goal for the club in a one-all draw with um, Crystal Palace at Roker Park. How how did that feel? Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, um, it was a it was a ball in by Paul Atkinson from the left. Um, he whipped it in, and I came in and, and actually slid it slid in with my right foot, and 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 it, it ended up getting going in the bottom corner sort of thing. I remember Barry Benson didn't play for whatever reason. I think he might again he might have had a bit of fall I think with, with Laurie and there was some bits and bobs going on. Um but he said to me, because in at that time in the pat the Roker end paddock, um the basically down not in the Roker end but actually in the paddock itself there was all the Cajun was up because because of the stuff that had gone on in football. So he, he said to me, I thought you were gonna jump over the top of that when you when you scored <laughs> yeah. So um yeah, but it was special special obviously to score and that's obviously a boy dream that you'd love to score. And especially at Roker, that was that was amazing, yeah. And that that was the end of, to be fair, as a kid I always stood I always stood at the Roker end and when the Roker end was massive and um, before it got chopped down, um I stood right at the back of the Roker end with my mum and dad and, and my brother sort of thing. So to score at that end was special, like yeah. I bet it was because you know I can pretty much guarantee about at least ninety nine percent of people listening right now, you've literally just told said what their sort of boyhood dream is. You know, to, to score for Sunderland, to score at home, yeah, that is it. That you know, the, the pinnacle of any boyhood's life or dream is that is it to score for your hometown team. And that so that was it for me. Yeah, to be fair, that was it totally and honestly. That was that was everything I wanted. The only other one that I slightly. I always say that I, I missed out on the other one I wanted to do was score at Newcastle um, and score at like the Leasers End, a winner at the Leasers End, which I never did. I ate the post at Newcastle once and that that that, that would have been nice. And it was from about, well, it was wind assisted. It was about 100 mile an hour winds. <laughs> I ate the post from about 45 yards or something. But, um, but, but yeah, I did score against them. But again, that didn't count because that was it. That was at home and we got beat, to be fair, 2-1 when Liam O'Brien scored with a shot there. I won't say what he is, but never mind, yeah. <laughs> no, well, as I say, we, we, don't worry, there's a, there's a good Newcastle story to come. I know that for a fact. Um, so the following season, uh, so that's sort of 86, 87, this is when you sort of literally start becoming a bit of a, a mainstay in the team. Um, yeah. You made 43 appearances. Yeah. Um, at that stage, now unfortunately, you know we were relegated um, into to, to Division Three for yeah. the first time you know, in our history at the time. So it wasn't you know the best of starts. But those two years saw you play under two managers whose probably reputations could not be more sort of chalk and cheese. So you know, on one side you had Bob Stokoe, absolute legend for the club. Obviously, there's a statue now outside the Stadium of Light, and yeah. then Lloyd McMenemy, who probably. The only person close to our hatred of uh, as Sunderland managers is probably David Moyes. So, what were your thoughts on on those two then as as, as managers? 
Yeah, I always say, like, Laurie was a decent enough guy. He was, you know, he, he, I always said if he'd had a better assistant for me, and uh, I had nothing against Lou. Lou Charlie was a decent enough guy, but I just thought if he'd had somebody else in as his assistant, he might have got away, away with it a little bit more. But he, Lou was too like Laurie, really, and uh, it never worked. Um, you know, Laurie was no... He's no expert on football, put it that way, but he was good at all the other sides and obviously attracted players that, you know, he'd done before in whatever way. And I think he basically tried to, oh, well, he obviously did try to do the same, at getting experienced players that had done really well in the past and um, to build the team. But um, quite a few of them, to be honest, couldn't, hand playing, couldn't handle playing a rock park. They're all being, you know, good players, but once it starts to go wrong at Sunderland, you know, where I, I always say Sunderland is the best place on earth to play if you're playing well, but if you're playing badly and and, and the team's playing badly, it's a it's a it's a hard place to play football. So, um, it, it, it you know, like the David Swindlers, people like that. Um, there was you know plenty of others, Steve Etsky, and a lot of goalkeepers at the time that we had. We struggled with goalkeepers who couldn't find a good goalkeeper, um, and you know, you know, we struggled that year and and went down. Yeah, so that was that was probably the most good that I've ever been to be honest. Because like you say, I'd played a lot of games, uh, and you know, I wasn't really involved in the one the team that went down from the from the top from League One as it was yeah. then. Vision, but to, to have a full season and to be relegated uh, was was fairly brutal, to be honest. And, and I didn't enjoy my whole summer. Um, I just wanted to get started again. And, and lucky enough, you know, Dennis came in and things turned around for, for the better. Well, that's exactly it. So, you know, Dennis Smith comes in um, 87, 88. And, you know, again, you, you play 41 times at the club and, and we go up as champions. Yeah. Um, you know, yourself, uh, Gabardini, uh, Gates... You know, you know, you you helped supply them to the, you know, the goals that season. You know, you alongside Gary Hours. Yep. You know, that must have been a great time then to sort of be at the club. Yeah, it was. And also, I should I left out there Bob Stoker, and I would say that you know he was at the end of that season where he he meant to be a little stopgap, a caretaker, manager. He was brilliant, to be honest. He was spot on with everybody. Um, I always tell the story a little bit of, he, he, you know, he was a, he was a brilliant guy, Bob, and an absolute gent to be honest. And he was great with all of us. And he did give us a little lift, and he nearly did enough to get to, you know, to keep us up, sort of thing. It didn't quite happen, but I always tell a little story of, sort of myself and Gary Bennett. He used to mix our names up, so probably the, you know, obviously that Gary Armstrong's not too bad, but Gordon Bennett. <laughs> So they used to say that all the time, and one of his other ones, and and whatnot, when he didn't know anybody's name. Um, but he was a he was a class human being, and, and and I enjoyed playing for Bob. To be fair, God rest his soul, sort of thing. But uh, a class man, like yeah. Um, but yeah, moving on from that, um, Dennis Smith was you know a, a total, you know, um, total breath of fresh air, sort of thing. He he was he was spot on. Um, he was the best manager ever. I've ever played under, um, certainly, certainly the time. It was exactly what we needed, um, you know. So, just one, sorry. I was, like, was there anything in particular that he did sort of straight away to sort of two turn things around and then sort of implement his own ideas? No, he just, he just, you know, like I always say, football was a lot simpler then. It wasn't really so much tactics and things like that. He just basically believed in us all, and 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 you know, he. he he sort of talked to everybody and instilled confidence in them, basically, in players. And uh, that, you know, a lot of people had struggled. And, it, 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 you know, likes of Eric Gates hadn't had a great time up until then. But then, to, you know, obviously, you know, him and Gabba's just hit it off straight away. And, and you know, they were yin to yang, basically, perfect for each other. Like Gates, he could hold it up. Fantastic footballer. See a pass. He, a great finisher as well, obviously, but you know he's a good footballer. And then Gabba's had all the other things that Gates he didn't have. He was he was raw, he was quick, he was aggressive, um, and he scored all types of goals. Gabba's so, but you know they they were great together, uh, and obviously we've got some some young players coming in who did great as well. And it it was the start of a, a good spell for the club. And um, yeah, I'd, you know obviously really enjoyed uh, the promotion year. It was fantastic and and. You know, to go up as champions, I think in the end we deserved it. Yeah. Do you see when you say when you mentioned there about obviously having some some like like young lads coming through as well? Do you see many sort of comparisons with 
the team now, obviously, in, in, the, in the same league and where we are sort of this season as opposed to previous seasons, buying you know, older players and, you know, on almost final paychecks. This season, we've seemed to have gone down that that young player route as well. Can yeah. you see any sort of similarities between, sort of like, Lee Johnson's team and, and your team back then? Yeah, I can. I think, I, I think. listen, I, I think this year we, we've gone about things the right way. At the end of the day, we've we've gone out and got young players and, and that's the only way forward for me. You, you know, you've got to invest in young players. and uh, We want more out of our academy. Unfortunately, we lost a lot of players from the last mob selling them all off. Um, but there's still some good players come out of the academy and I'm sure there'll be plenty more um, you know so yeah I do see some similarities um, if I'm being honest I don't think they're as good a side as us no but, I was, was going to say that <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah I, 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 that's the truth but but I do see that you know that you know they, they, they've tried to do things the right way this year, and you know as a Sunderland fan, you can only ask for your players to give 110 percent. And I think all them lads out there have done. I've watched. I've probably been as you know seven or eight games this season, and you know I've I've enjoyed most of the games I've been at, um, especially earlier on. I thought they played really well earlier on. They were full of confidence. Maybe you know playing on better service early on the season I don't know but they played some really good really at attacking open football that, that I thought was you know was a joy to watch at times uh, it's died off no doubt about it in the last few weeks they haven't played as well um, I wasn't at um, the game on Saturday but I was the the, um, the, the game before that so um, yeah against Oxford where they drew ones each sort of thing and then that was a game of two halves obviously um, but I, I am enjoying watching them a lot more. It, it does does seem that like yeah, it's, it's a big change in the whole attitude of the club, and uh, hopefully, it long may it continue, sort of thing. No, definitely, and I agree hundred percent with what you've just said there. Um, yeah. But going going back to your, to your own career though, so you, you're now sort of like you're only sort of twenty twenty one, um, and you've actually like pretty much not already knocked up a hundred games for the club, yeah. which is. Unbelievable, really. Like when you look at it now, and um, I was chatting like the other day about to, to, to it with someone, and if you compare that to someone like again, like using today's players, like Nathan Broadhead, he's twenty three and he's only actually played twenty eight games in his whole career so far. So you know, for yourself, do you think that that you know, a, that's a mad stat anyway? Um, you know, obviously we are talking different eras, and you know, was the culture of the club there sort of? Um, you know, because where but nowadays it's all sort of sports science and that sort of thing, and you know, I don't think the sort of players burning out so much. For yourself, yeah. you know, we usually sort of like just just thrown into it, um, but then there's also you know, that kind of like work hard, play hard attitude as well. What you expect from sort of like '90s football? Yeah, exactly. Uh, listen, uh, uh, yeah, I was I was thrown into it, no doubt about it. And squads weren't as big then, don't you know what I mean? So it was totally different. Um, but I do see, like you know, is there's a little bit of luck. Even someone like George Honeyman, um, who came in and did quite well for us, um, you know, George wouldn't have had a chance if we'd been in the Premier League. Um, and and the same with me, if, you know, and I got a little bit of a chance in, the, in in you know what was the old first division, I suppose. So you could say that's not totally true, but you know, I'd probably be something like a a good something like that. I did the same. I played one or two games in there. But you know, it's uh, it's it's not an easy one. Yeah, I I I I think that you know, I'm just pleased that I had the opportunities that I did. Things have changed a lot. Um, it's not all of them for the better, I don't think. And I don't think under twenty threes football sometimes really helps these kids. They they need to go out at an earlier age and play football for me and man's football. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't have a a, a young kid playing in under twenty threes football. Um, over sort of the age of nineteen, for me, I just think it's it's counterproductive, to be honest, because it's not real football, and it's certainly not League One football. So you know, it, it, as a nineteen, twenty-year-old, if you played, I don't know, thirty, forty games in the under twenty-threes, it's not going to help you when you go out there and and someone goes right through you in a League One game. It, it just doesn't happen in twenty-three games, and everything's sort of nice, pretty on the floor. Um, and that's not what's League One and League Two, or you know that that's why they for me they've got to go out earlier. Well, you've also got as well with the old reserve teams when you're like in, in your time, yeah. there would be proper professionals playing in there, wouldn't there? So you you wouldn't just be it's not just the kids, you know no. you could like in your like you're playing reserve and you could be coming up actually against some proper quality 
like internationals at some point, you know, getting trying to get fitness back, get back in the team or something. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I played at Man United where, you know, the likes of Mark Hughes and Clayton Blackmore and, and people like that played, you know. So, it, yeah, absolutely 100%. You, you learn quickly that, you know, you can't mess about these people. They, they, they you know, they, they won't just sit and wait for you. They'll, they'll get stuck in and, and, and treat you just like anybody else. So, you know, you, you either sink or you swim. Uh, and, you know, they don't talk to you like <laughs> the way they get talked to. Obviously, in the 23s game for me is is the truth. So, you know, I I absolutely think you should bring reserve teams back. Um, it's something I've said before, maybe it's an old foggy, but that's how you learn. You learn off your senior professionals and people that probably come to the end of their careers that now and then need a game and and. and and they go and play there. They don't very often the senior players play in the 23s because I think a lot of the time the managers think that it's a waste of time for them. Yeah. No, but so listen, so I keep I always keep branching off when I speak to anyone. So <laughs> back back to your career, because this is where it gets really exciting. So you've you've been promoted as champions, uh 89-90, um, and you actually break the record speaking of sort of games played. So you've played 59 games um that season. I've ever, if I'm right in thinking you played, it was only you missed 20 minutes. Yeah, that's right. The season, which yeah. is just again ridiculous. Yeah. Um, if you, you hear players now, sort of, you know, after five games into a new season, saying that they're, they're tired and they're burning out, and then there's you, literally, you know, knocking out fifty nine games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen. Again, I wouldn't have wanted it any other way. And I remember, to be fair, I know exactly what game it was. It was against Newcastle in the uh, away from home, and and so that was a massive game for me. So I was. Like so wound up for that game that I actually got cramp in the game, um, and Dennis Smith slaughtered me. To be fair, just funnily, to be honest, in, in a, for weeks on end, he sort of kept telling me I was unfit, so uh, he wound me up. And uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it, yeah, it's nice to hold that record. I must admit, um, I'm really proud of that one. Um, to think of all the Sunderland players that have been, and you know, I have played more games than anybody, even a goalkeeper or anything like that. To to you know, to, to to hold a record for that makes me immensely proud. Right. Yeah. You should be. I don't think it'll ever be broken either. No, not the way football is now. I don't think it will, to be honest. But you never know with anything, do you? Things can change. But yeah, I'm, like I say, I'm, I'm really, really proud of that. I love Sunderland Football Club and to, to hold that record is, is amazing, yeah. Oh, good man. So that season saw the playoff, uh, the semi-final at St. James's Park. Yeah. Um, so, well, for yourself, anyways, as a local lad, as someone who who hates Newcastle and and Newcastle fans hate you just as much <laughs> from what I've read, how was the build up to that game? Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, it, it was obviously the first game was was pretty much a non-event to be honest, other than obviously the infamous penalty that uh, uh, me and Hardy used to laugh about. To be fair, because I, he always says that I saved his life because there was about six Newcastle players who wanted to chin him. To be honest. <laughs> after booting Mr. Burridge well it wasn't going to make him any more crazy was it anyway so um, so yeah Budgie's nuts to be honest so so yeah it was uh, it, it was a, like I say a bit of a non-event but I always remember coming in after the game and sort of um, Alan Oliver like talking to a few of their guys in the in as you came into Roker Park there was the big there was a hall before you went upstairs to sort of the director's box the manager's bit and everything and and, and they were all laughing and, and joking and thought they'd, they'd done it basically and you know I passed that on to a few of the boys and I think I promised a few of the boys a, a bottle of champagne each if we won but I ended up buying them maybe half a dozen bottles somewhere um, but but yeah but then to go there was amazing yeah yeah, that was unbelievable. So before that game started, how um, how were you feeling? Because I suppose that you know, you've got that in one side of you. What you want to prove, like I say, just there. What you want to prove a point. You want to get them back and, and show. Was, was the fear of defeat? Would that even cross your mind at that stage, or were you just thinking we need to win this? No, you're just thinking positive thoughts. To be honest, and that's the way Dennis was. To be honest, I'm, I remember. That was one of the one of the only times I've ever done it in my career, to be fair. But basically, he, he told me to to follow Aiken around and make sure that he didn't influence the game, to be honest. And that, that was like sort of a strange thing for me. But it, he wanted me, that was something tactically he wanted me to do and to make sure that, he, like I say, he didn't influence the game. He felt that he was somebody that really could influence the game. So uh, he was getting on a little bit then, Roy Aiken. But yeah, he did. Did well for Newcastle last season, unfortunately, and and uh, yeah, that 
that was something. But we we out, we outplayed them after the first fifteen minutes, to be honest. And um, we we had more of a threat, obviously, with Gatesy and Gabbers. Uh, Warren Hall came in and did well, and um, you know it was a brilliant night. Ozzy did great that night. Um, so it was just a brilliant, brilliant night, and. Um, obviously them running on and trying to do what they did made it even sweeter for me to be honest because that just showed how sick they were so um, yeah that I was... it did as a, as a Sunderland fan seeing that seeing them trying to like get the game abandoned obviously the ref was having absolutely none of it that game was getting I mean, even to say if it was going to play till midnight that game was getting finished that that full time whistle that must have been one of the, the sweetest well, that, I suppose that point to your career at the time the sweetest so far yeah, that that without doubt was it, and it still remains the sweetest. Even you know, people talk about other other games and bits and bobs to me sometimes, but that's the sweetest game for me. And and they wouldn't because of what happened in the game, they wouldn't let the lads go back on the pitch to celebrate with the Sunderland fans. But I but I managed to sneak out there, but totally by myself, and and celebrate with Sunderland fans. So that was special as well. Yeah, that oh, was brilliant. And, and what happened on the on the way back then into Sunderland? Was that a, was that a late one that night? Yes, that was a late one. We ended up in uh, in Fino's. Yes, we just drove straight. The bus went straight to Fino's, and we all jumped in there. So we had a great night. Um, yeah, Mister Mister Dylan tells me he came in. To be fair, with uh, Mickey Harford, and um, Mickey Harford was uh, a little bit angry with me because he thought I was taking the Mickey out of Kevin Dylan. But I would never fight with Mister Harford. I love him too much. But there you go. Oh, I, don't, I don't think anyone would fight Mister Harford. <laughs> no, we would no, exactly. On, on to Wembley, though. Um, now, I was actually there, eight years old uh, yeah. that day. And unfortunately, we did lose 1-0. Tony Norman had an absolute storm, though. It could have been a lot worse. Um, what happened that day, though? It just sort of went wrong, didn't it? Yeah, totally. I think it was sort of went wrong, to be honest. We we went away to, to Menorca, to be fair, for a holiday. And that was a bad idea, full stop. Um being the time that it was, uh, you know, that's all you did was sort of have a few drinks and, you know, it wasn't really frowned upon then and we probably got a bit carried away and to be fair, we, one other little story from Newcastle game, the end of Newcastle game, Kevin Dillon, who was sort of friend of a few of the lads because he was from Sunderland anyway and sort of told us that Gordon McKeegan had said whoever won the Newcastle game was basically promoted anyway. Now, that is no excuse for the way we played at Wembley. We played terrible um, nothing, nothing at all. Just a little story alongside all of that. But he, he already said that Swindon were in big trouble and they they couldn't get promoted, sort of thing. So, um, but we, yeah, we just they played a different system. I think to be fair, on the day Swindon, uh, they played with three at the back. We'd already played them off the park twice that season, um, so we we're really confident. And and to be honest, they just totally outplayed us, outbattered uh, us in every department, really. Um, so it was it was a real sickness um, until obviously we got the news that you know it was all reversed and changed around in 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 the summer I was away in Ibiza and um, then as he did on the uh, no mobile phones we rang home on the payphone and, and got told that yeah it had all been all been changed so that was a nice day. That must have been a great phone call to that one. So you're. You know, you're finally. You know, we're back. We're back in the first division, top flight. You know, your first time. You know, how did it feel as as the season went on? You know, did you feel like that you were comfortable? You know, in that league around those sort of teams. Yeah, I think we did. Uh, we, we, listen, we had loads of great games, and you know, anybody that watched that season would have enjoyed most of the season. Uh, you know, we were. Well, Great game at Liverpool where we got beat 2-1. We got we drew with Spurs 3 each when we should have won. We were 3-1 up with, I don't know, 10 minutes to go or something, 15 minutes to go. And we had loads of great games. Arsenal, we didn't get hammered off them at any stage. You know, we played all the top teams and never really got battered off anybody, but we just probably lacked a bit of experience. Um, probably more so at the back, maybe. Um and we just couldn't uh, couldn't do enough to stay in the league, unfortunately. But uh, maybe he's Mr. Murray should have put his hand in his pocket a bit more. But that's how it was, and, and unfortunately, we went down. And um, it was still memorable because I, you know, I was talking to somebody at the weekend, and we, we were talking about the Man City game, and that was just bloody amazing. Like to be fair, well, I say that again. That's one of the, the famous games in Sunderland's history. Although again, yeah. the defeat and relegation, but. Was this only like thirteen thousand or fifteen thousand Sunderland fans turned yep. up at Main Road that day? And say 
although you so you were relegated, you, you didn't go down. It wasn't a case that so you, you were you know you were a bad side, was it? You know, was it just one of those seasons where you know a few ifs if a couple of got you know gold got in here, was you know, a point turning to three there, you'd have been okay. Yeah, definitely. I, I I still think that, and you know, uh, I think loads of other fans do. We we weren't a million miles away. That's for certain. Um, and you know, it was just really disappointing to go down. And although you know, we battled all the way and took it right to the last game. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't to be. Um, I also I was telling Gary Bennett it was his sixtieth of the weekend. We talked about it. And I remember after the game. To be fair, it was probably one thing that you know people forget as well it's probably it started where Niall Quinn sort of fell in love with the club because I remember coming into the coming back into after the game afterwards we were all changed and suits on and all that malarkey and I was coming back in down the tunnel and he, and he pulled us and he just said uh, you know really really hope you guys come straight back up it's just amazing that's a ball today and you know you don't deserve to go down and you know make sure you get back up next season so that that was like a class act and you know that's how Niall was I think yeah so yeah, yeah. no, well, he always comes across that way doesn't he and as you say what, what was that the moment you know where I think was the same you know the Sunderland got under his skin you know it could have even started slightly that day I think massively, yeah. I mean, because it was just amazing, to be honest, at Main Road. I, I, I still think there was more than even like, you know, some people say 15,000 or whatever. I think it could have been even more than that. It was just, the ground was just full of Sunland, you know, it was just full of Sunland fans in it. It was uh, it was amazingly emotional. I hadn't played, actually, because I was suspended um, for the last game of the season. I got sent off at, where did I get sent off somewhere? Oh, Southampton, I think, yeah. Um, and um, I couldn't play. But uh, it was a hell of a game and uh, it was just obviously sickening to go down. So after that season of relegation, it probably come the next season is where, you know, you and some of your teammates sort of, you know, cemented themselves into Sunderland AFC's history. So it's the uh, the famous um, cup final in 92. The yeah. run itself, though, so we'll sort of start, um, I'll skip the first sort of few rounds. So it's, uh, we beat Port Vale, at yep. Oxford, um, we set up two games then against West Ham, yep. um, at Upton Park, um, having led two uh, 0 um, by John Byrne getting both the goals. It was pegged back by Martin Allen, and yep. David Rush pops up and smashes it in from six yards. Yep. Was it at that time already? So are you starting think because we're not famous like we have some famous for cup wins, but not so much cup runs. Were you yep. starting to think that something could happen this year? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was just a feeling. Obviously, Bernie was scoring for fun in the cup, and when you've got somebody that can score goals like he could, and he was a great footballer, um, you know, he always had a chance. Obviously, you know, we had Don in the in the group as well. To be fair, as part of the squad, but he couldn't play. So, you know, like Dad was coming in and doing a great job and scoring goals as well. As, as you know, Dad, Dad was a great footballer, Peter Davenport. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, you just never know in football. You know what I mean? You just basically take it game by game and uh, no it was fantastic the run was fantastic I always say but obviously the final was crap I've, I've never watched the final since because I didn't play well we played all right in bits but um, but yeah in the end we were well beat by you know I always say like Jan Mulby was the difference between the two teams he was he was just on a different planet that day and it just suited him down the ground the pitch it was slow and um, he just he just passed it for fun and uh, he, he was fantastic on the day yeah well before the cup final though there was um, a small matter of a game against Chelsea um, <laughs> where so we, we drew at um, Stamford Bridge uh, John Byrne scoring with 10 minutes to go to uh, take a replay back to a, it looks a very windy Roker Park yeah um, before the game started, you know what? What are your thoughts? You know, before that game, so the quarterfinals of the cup against the first division opposition. You know, what's yeah. going through your mind? Yeah, I just basically, I always, I always thought like this: that like, if you could fill Roker Park, and especially on a night game, you know, it was just always special. Full stop. You know what I mean? Didn't matter. We, you know, obviously played in a lot of games like that, and but to have a full house, um, it was just, it was just an amazing atmosphere. Um, full stop. And it, we always knew they had, we had a chance because you know we had lads that put the head, foot in, do anything basically to you know try and get a result. And you know, I think you know you could go through that team, and and basically it was you know full of honest uh, lads who give everything. You know, Bali, Benno. 
Um, you know, David Rush, Brian Atkinson, um, maybe not the front two, Davin Burney, but they were <laughs> but but uh, you know, Anton Rogan, people like that, you know, Tony Norman was superb in the run, he was just unbelievable. Um, a great shot stopper, you know what I mean? Um, but um, well, I, I watched the highlights back the other day, um, yeah. and um, so you actually scored, you opened mm. the scoring, but it was uh, it was offside. It wasn't, uh, by the way. I, I wasn't afforded such a um, the luxury of fifteen camera yeah. angles and VAR and so forth. You know, what, what I was going to ask you, what, was that actually a goal? Yeah, what well, it should have been a goal. I came in from behind, and the ball came across, and I came in and made a run, and I was like a yard on side. I know it was to this day, but um, but yeah, it was disallowed for offside. So um, that, I think that, that's. That's definitely your um, your sliding doors moment though, because if that if that does go in, this next part doesn't happen. So yeah. uh, Peter Devon's ball opens the scoring after twenty minutes, and to be fair, it was a really sort of like back and forth game. Um, as you say, Tony Norman was great in goal. We did yeah. actually score another one, but again, it was um, it was ruled offside. And then Dennis Wise pulls it back with five minutes to go to one yeah. all. Yeah, I'll let you talk about what happens next. So Brian Atkinson steps up to take a corner, and what happens after that? Yeah, I mean, basically, I uh, we we had worked on it, and uh, like if I, I see Crozer now or, or speak to him, he still laughs about the fact we used to try that. To be fair, in training, and we worked on it quite a bit, um, and we hadn't been doing so outswingers. And I told you go and take an outswinger. Um, so he, he he put in a perfect ball, which he would do because he's a fantastic footballer, the lad. And uh, you know. I would say Aki should have probably even played higher because he was, he was that good. Uh, he played alongside Brace, who was obviously as well an experienced and top player and was unbelievable that day as well. Um, but it was a great ball in. And, and then, you know, I heard Mr. Jones on about it on some podcast or something, yeah, saying that he told Townsend to mark me. I'm not sure about that one, but um, he told me it, that's what he said anyway. But um, I beat Mr. Townsend quite easily in the air because it wasn't bad in the air. And, um, yeah, it flew in the bottom corner, so that was rather nice. Yes, it was an absolute storming header. I think you, 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 I think you pretty much decided you jump from outside the box. It was um, absolutely fantastic. Do you ever get tired of like, of talking about that moment? Because I say that's you're at that point in time. You're that is you, and then you know, obviously you played over you know seventh in the league, you know seventh in the all time assists. But that yeah. moment is an iconic moment in Sunderland's FA Cup history and you know no matter what happens you will always be remembered for that and does that oh it's, it's lovely to be remembered for something isn't it you know what I mean it's like uh, you know I scored I think I scored something like close to 70 odd goals or something but um, but I always say as well to be fair I think there must have been about 200,000 people in the in the, in Roker Park to be honest because there's a lot of people talk to me about it but <laughs> <laughs> but it, like I say, it's just lovely to be remembered something. Hey, listen, I don't pretend that I was Sunderland's greatest ever footballer because I wasn't, right? But um, you know that that like I say, all the bits and bobs that I've done do make does make me very proud. Um, I love my team. Uh, I wish we were doing a bit better. Um, we've had some you know ups and downs the last few years, but but you know once you're a Sunderland fan, you always will be and. Uh, I just hope the boys can turn it around this year and 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 make sure they get in that top two. Well, what I was going to say, I was going to, I was going to move on slightly and just um, a way to say you've you mentioned the, uh, the the cup final there, which was you know unfortunately ended in defeat. But let's say you can still say that you know, you've actually played in an FA Cup final for your your boyhood team, which again not many people can say. So surely you know you can take that away, you know, from that, can't you? Yeah, I mean, it, it was different then, wasn't it? You know what I mean? The cup final was was a real big thing. It was starting to get a little bit less important, but it was still big. Um, and I think it was still massive for our fans. And I, that was shown by, you know, when we came back, the reception we got. It was just unbelievable. And, and that, that really summed up Sunderland fans to me, that, you know, the, the reception we got, even though we got beat, it was just unbelievable. The reckon it was sort of quarter of a million people on the streets when we came back on that Sunday, I think it was a Sunday, yeah. Um and and that was just unreal. Um, you know, coming back in from near, you know, on the sort of Herrington roundabout and stuff and then back in through there. It was just unbelievable and uh, I'll never forget that ever like, yeah. 
Uh, so the, the fans appreciated that you know the, the work that team put in. It was a phenomenal cup run, and say so it's just a shame that it it ended how it did. But no, it was it was brilliant. Um, but then, so I've moved on. With I say, I appreciate we are we are sort of running short of time. Um, yep. You did get your uh, your testimonial though for the club, um, which in today's game is is rare. For, you know, for players to you know to be a club for so long. Um, you played Bobby Robson's Porto. Yeah, uh, winning two 0 but then, and that again must have been special for yourself at Roker Park, you know, for, for your big occasion. Yeah, it was a, yeah, it was amazing. Uh, we'd been away to Norway, I think, on pre-season, and I came back a little bit early uh, to help with sort of preparations and stuff. And Bobby Robson kindly brought over Porto. Um, so yeah, it was it was great. I think it was about eleven thousand there, so that was fantastic for a pre-season game. Um, and yeah, I appreciate everybody coming out and um, and we beat them. To be fair, we beat them two nil. I was I was sort of injured, so I couldn't really play anywhere. I, I don't. I tweet I think I tweaked my knee or something somewhere along the line. Um, I might have been in Norway. I'm not sure, but uh, but yeah, um, yeah. I think Mr. Mourinho was a coach as well. To be fair, on the uh, I've got yeah, I'm pretty sure he was. So um, so yeah, it was all good, and we had a you know good couple of do's and stuff around it as well. So. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was really enjoyable, and um, again, just a proud moment to to say that you play for Sunderland, the team that I love for sort of ten, eleven years, and um, that was that was mint. Yeah, class. I will open it up to um, any of our listeners if they want to uh, to ask uh, Gordon a question. We've got a few uh, few moments left with him, um, but Gordon, while I've uh, you know, so if you do want to get involved, just a request, and Gav's there to uh, to bring somebody in. Um, yeah. So you did sort of end end your career then uh, with Sunderland before. Before heading on to um, to Berry, now were you were you sort of sad how how it ended for yourself at Sunderland because you sort of a bit injury sort of played I believe the last couple of seasons. Yeah, it was what I didn't realise was me 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 back was knackered basically, and only found out a year later when I was at when I was at Berry basically I had to have a back operation and um, yeah I didn't know that at the time I was picking up injuries but were more related really to me back. I had to have me like um, a couple of me discs out and things in me back, so my back was completely shattered. Like, um, so uh, that kept me out for quite a long time, all over the summer. And, and um, but but yeah, it, it's football. It happens, you know what I mean. They listen. I could have moved a couple of times. Never really wanted to leave Sunderland ever. So yeah, it was it was. You know, it wasn't great the way it ended, but that's football and that's life. You move on, and and I really enjoyed my time at Berry. I had two great years. I was lucky. We got promoted and stayed in the championship, which was unreal for Berry. Um, it's just really sad how the club's gone there, and you know, I I just can't believe sometimes what the EFL does with things. But um, but yeah, it, uh, it that was enjoyable, and then my manager at the time, Stanton, then took me to to Burnley not long after that, and. And I had five great years there as well. To be fair, got promoted again. We stayed in the championship and we missed out on the playoffs two years running. Uh, I think one, one on uh, one on goal difference and one by one point. So um, you know there were good times, and you know we had the likes of Ian Wright and and Gaza came in on loan to for about six months and sorted righty. Um, so so I had some great times there as well. So I was I was really every club I was at, I got promoted. I think in total I got promoted five times. So. You know, I've I've been a lucky lad. I've done something that I've enjoyed, and um, you know, we weren't massively well paid then. We weren't like millionaires or anything, but I wouldn't change it for anything. And then, uh, you know, just uh, fantastic times. No, you should. You should be very proud of your career, Gordon. Um, no, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Um, I do have one person who wants to uh, come in and have, ask a question. Uh, Tom Albrighton. Right. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll pass over to Tom to uh, to ask a question. No problem. Evening, Gordon. Um, obviously, I've listened in here, um, and you've you've you partially touched on it a couple of times. So I was just wondering because um, you have been a vocal vocal critic of the previous uh, ownership regime of Sunderland. Yep. Uh, so I was just wondering, essentially, what your current thoughts are on the new ownership under Carol Louis Dreyfus, yep. and you know, sort of surrounding the the continual presence of. Uh, Methan and and others, as it seems to have emerged in the the meetings from the the minutes from the recent meeting there. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, listen, I'm no, I'm obviously no fan of the the, the last lot that were there. Um, I've no time for them at all, to be honest. Um, I think they only came for one thing, and that was to make money. 
Um, they weren't here very long, and they and they tried to sell the club. Um, you know, there's varying reports on that. I, I have a pretty good idea that it was only a few months, to be honest. So that pretty much sums up what they were and what they were about. Hey, listen, they, they put some money in at times, and you know, um, but there was a lot of money in the club, as we all know. We had the parachute payments, and you know, most of that's probably gone missing, I think. And um, so, yeah, um, I've not, I've no time for them, and probably the, the you know, the the. The least we talk about them, probably the better. Because again, we're a bit upset, really. Especially for me, the biggest nightmare and absolute disgrace of it all was what they did to the academy. The young players that were allowed to go and were encouraged to go, from what I've been told from you know different sources and from parents um, in the academy, uh, that is uh, you know the the lowest of the law for me. What you know, I, I get like like Man United, Liverpool signed some of our players and stuff like that. But you should never encourage players to leave your football club, and that's what they did. That's what they openly did. I know that for a fact. Um, so, you know that that was the worst of the worst for me. And as for Kirill, I think Kirill, without doubt, is a, is a good man. He wants to do the right things, um, and I just hope that he's given chance to to be able to do that. Um, there's a big worry, obviously, at the minute is how much you know, how much of the share holding he's got. I, I honestly don't know. Uh, I hear different bits and bobs, and hopefully some of them are not true, to be honest. But um, but you know, I, I think that the guy's got his heart absolutely in the right place. The things that he's doing around the club are for the betterment of the club. Um, so you know, all the things that he's done, he, he's tried to progress the academy again. He's spending money and everything, even little things around the the ground and stuff that he's done have been better. Um, but at the moment, it doesn't seem like he's got, you know, he already wants to spend loads and loads of money. Now, that could be a number of reasons. I'm not certain. Um, whether it's something to do with it, the guys that were there before, I don't know. Um, again, you hear different bits, bits and bobs of rumours. I'm not certain. But, you know, you just hope that this guy's given the opportunity to run it exactly how he wants to. Because I think he has got his, there's no doubt about it, his heart's in the right place. Um, and, you know, he's, he's put a new setup in. That can only improve the club. Yeah. So on the subject there, you've just touched on briefly there about the 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 spend so far under the new regime or there in lap of. Yeah. Uh, would it be fair to suggest that perhaps that maybe Louis Dreyfus hasn't dipped his hand in his pocket as much as people would have liked to have seen by now, purely by the virtue of we've experimented already whilst being in League One, we're spending large fees on relatively big name players for the division. So could it be a case that perhaps he's maybe not dipping his hand in his pocket because logically for the club going forward, it might be better we invest in younger, lesser known players and kind of have them grow with the club rather than spend millions and millions of pounds to ultimately and possibly end up in the same division? Yeah, I, I, I listen, I get the strategy. I think I think you've got to have a bit of both at the, at the end. You know, you, you, you know, if you identify somebody who thinks... Uh, better than the player that we've already got in, or the, you know, the number one player that's in the team, or whatever. Then you've got to go out and spend the money. That's that's how you progress, and and hopefully, you know, he, I think he wants to make it self-sustainable. So he wants to run it whereby we're not, you know, we're not making big losses. So he, he you know, he can't afford to spend, you know, millions of pounds on players. I get that, um, and and I get the strategy of, of getting young players. And like I said earlier on, I think it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, we we just got to make sure that the quality of them players is right. Um, it's not easy. You know, nobody's going to get every everyone right. But the biggest thing for me is his heart's in the right place. He's coming with the right attitude, and, and I think all Sunderland fans can forgive a few mistakes and failures along the way if somebody's trying to do the right things. And that's what he's. That I I I honestly believe that's what he's trying to do. Um, I still hope he's got over fifty percent. I don't know, but I hope he has for his sake. But uh, but yeah, um... no, I, I agree with what you're saying there, Gordon. You know, I really do. I do think he's he's doing his best. I think he's gonna. I do think his you know, his heart's in the right place for us. So it's uh, yeah, fingers crossed. He will be uh, it's onwards and upwards. But yep. unfortunately, I've taken up an hour of your time already, and that's absolutely flown by. No problem. Um, thank you so much for coming on board. Um, no. It's been an absolute pleasure hearing your stories. 
And listen, you you, do, you guys are doing an amazing job for... Listen, I, I did the soup kitchens, not in Sunderland, but nearer closer where I live right now, in Middlesbrough a couple of years ago. And, and it's amazing what they do, them guys. And it, it's a really worthy cause. And uh, thank you to you guys for, for sorting that all out and pushing it and, and raising the types of money that you guys are doing. So I appreciate you guys doing that. Good, man. Thanks a lot for your time, Gordon. Top man. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Gordon, thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.